Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. you to do me a favor. Look at somebody near you and say, you look especially good in 2021. Do that, would you? You look especially, I don't know what you looked like last year, but you look good this year. All right, I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to go to work right away on a, on a concept that was introduced last week with Pastor Dan, did an incredible job. So he talked about baggage and what you do with baggage in your life as you begin again. And this week, we're going to talk about starting to dream again and how to dream again and that it's okay to dream again as you begin again. Back in 1999, I was a, a pastor in Elkhart, Indiana, and in July of that year, a family in our church went through a devastating, life-altering accident. They were on their way uh, to our campground, getting ready for a camp meeting, which was going to be the next week. This couple we had grown very close to because they were in our discipleship class. We met on Friday nights, and so the kids were there in the gym, and the parents all got together, and so we were leading that time. And I got a phone call when I was at home that they had been involved in an accident. I didn't know how serious it was, just simply that I needed to get down. It was only a couple of miles from my house. What I found out when I got there was that they were traveling southbound on a county road, Two individuals decided to try to have a little fun driving the other way, racing as they came up the hill. Uh, there was a kind of a hit-and-run type of thing. One of the drivers drove off. One of them ran across the field. This family simply was devastated. A lot of the firemen and first responders were parts of our church, and as I came up there, they came over to me, and they said, Pastor Phil, hope is gone. Their littlest girl, three years old, had passed away. The entire family was devastated. They were air vaced we later found out, to three different hospitals, two different states. Two of the children were paralyzed from the waist down and uh, will be in wheelchairs the rest of their life unless the Lord intervenes. The other child had a broken back and had to have a fusion surgery, fuse their spine together in Kalamazoo, Michigan, but she was able to walk again. Mom and dad were both taken to the hospital. At one point, as we were spread out over those hospitals, four of the five remaining family members had to be resuscitated because their hearts had stopped. It was a devastating time. The community came together. We were as a church, kind of the, kind of the headquarter of that, but the entire community got together as we raised enough funds to build them a new home, get them moved into that home that was handicap accessible. And over the next couple of years, God began to birth something in the heart of this family where they began a ministry called Hope Ministries, named after their daughter, helping other parents endure. Later on, it became helping other people endure, and to this day probably has uh, had a various different uh, 
metamorphosis that have happened as the ministry has changed and expanded. Two years after the accident, something we all know took place, September uh, 11th in 2001, 9-11 happened. There was the attack of the, in New York City, the attack that took place in Washington, D.C. The country was in turmoil. And during that time, so many lives were impacted, including first responders, because not only did they see massive loss, but they experienced it because of their families and friends. A lot of their coworkers were involved in the loss. They were the loss. And so around Christmas time or so of that year, Hope Ministries just, uh, went to New York City and they went to each of the fire stations that they could get at least access to. And what was so interesting is that doors that were shut to the media and to any other kind of ministry, when they would see these little kids holding teddy bears that said hope on them, they allowed the doors to be open because the kids were very young. And they let the family come in. They left their support ministry team come in. And just simply by presence and weeping together, love on them and share the love of Jesus Christ. I have so often thought back to that time. How in the world do you begin again after you've gone through something like that? How do you even think about daring to dream about something like that. And over the years, I have sat, I've stood with friends of mine with my arm around them, weeping together as I look at a house that's in ashes, and they don't even know where to begin in rebuilding their life after that loss. Or those that have lost a farm or a farmhouse or a business to a tornado or those who have gone through the devastation of flood and loss or those who have gone through a completely different kind of loss as they've suffered the loss of a spouse or a child or uh, any loved one or one that has gone through the devastation of divorce or whatever it is. When, when everything seems gone, how do you even think about dreaming again? And Nehemiah chapter 1, as the Lord took me here this week, this was not where I thought we would be. But for the next three weeks, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah as we talk about God beginning again when it seems like everything is gone. Now, the book of Nehemiah is written by a man by the name of Nehemiah. And if you had an older Bible, you might even see that in your Bible it says Ezra Nehemiah because in the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are actually one book. It's a longer book. Ezra deals with the rebuilding of the people of Israel coming out of the Babylonian captivity, and it talks about the people coming back to Jerusalem in one exodus to rebuild the altar so they could worship God. In the second movement, they rebuilt the temple so that they could experience the presence of God. But in Nehemiah, he is rebuilding the walls of the city. Because even though they could worship God and they could experience His presence, the people lacked an identity because they had no border, they had no walls, they had no security, they had no national identity. And after this captivity time, God begins to stir anew a dream, a vision on one man's heart that would impact a people. And it correlates really well with wherever you are beginning again. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 1, here's what it says. In the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, 
in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Nehemiah is in service to the king as the cupbearer, so he is actually in Persia, and he is hearing news of his homeland. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province of uh, are back in the provinces they're in great trouble and, dis- and disgrace so if you want to kind of know what the kind of the headquarter of this whole thing is they're in trouble and they're in disgrace it says the wall of jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire and when i heard these things i sat down and i wept for some days i mourned and fasted and i prayed before the god of heaven. You see his prayer for his nation and for his people in this next passage. I wish we had time to really dissect it. We should come back to it in the future. It's a great model of praying for others that are in devastation. And then it says, O Lord, verse 11, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. And in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine, I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can only be, this is nothing but the sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should not my face look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by the fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Now we're going to stop right there, but it's interesting. This is a people that is in disarray and they're in discouragement. They've lost their national identity. To explain it a little bit, the Babylonian captivity was a time in the nation of Israel where not only were they overcome by another empire, the Babylonian empire, but they were then taken and deported into another region so that they would lose their geographic identity and that they would lose their national identity as well as their religious identity. It would be like someone attacking the country of your origin, United States, Canada, Mexico, wherever that would be, and not just overcoming you, but then taking its people away and moving them to another country so that you kind of lose your identity. When you read the book of Daniel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're all part of the Babylonian captivity. They are no longer in Jerusalem. They have been removed, and they are now in Babylon. Babylonian Empire was then taken over by the Persian Empire, and the Persian kings began to allow the people of Israel, the Jews, to go back to their homeland. That's where we're at right now. And it's interesting, when you talk about dreaming again, when you start thinking about that, 
There are some things that kind of hold you back from even wanting to begin again. Sometimes we don't want to begin again because we're just tired. I mean, we've tried this before. We've done this before. And I'm just so tired. How many of you know that change takes a lot of energy? It is way better just living the status quo than doing anything that involves change. Change is hard. It is emotionally hard. It can be spiritually hard. Frankly, change can be hard even physically. It's hard to change things. A lot easier just to kind of, what is it, the stone in motion or an object in motion just kind of continue. The inertia of just the same thing is much easier than seeing transformation and change take place. Sometimes we don't want to begin again because we think it's too late for us. We're too old. And it's amazing to me over the years as a pastor how young a person can be to think they're too old to see anything change. It began for me back in, what, 1990 with a guy by the name of Fred. Fred was a very gifted florist. He was very gifted. He specialized in roses. He was renowned for his ability, and frankly, he was paid well for it. But he had shared with me that he, he, he was a great guy. I mean, he was an incredible guy. Always had a heart for kids. Always wanted to be an elementary school teacher. He's 44 years old. It's too late for me. I remember saying, well, Fred, what if you went back to school? He was only two years away from his degree. He had started that process before. I said, you could actually spend 20 years still doing what you want to do. It was too late for him. Until Christmas morning that year, he went to water the flowers, slipped on some ice, shattered his back, was unable to do that kind of work again. He could still garden, but he couldn't do it in the same capacity. So he began the retraining, and the last time I had contact with him had just taken his first elementary school class. I assume by now he's probably retired, doing what it is that he had felt he wanted to do. Mike. Mike was 29 years old, but he was too old. How many of you, does 29 not feel too old? <laughs> I, I just got to tell you, I, it just seems just getting started. Uh, 29 years old. Man, I know for some of you that's agent. Mike was 29 years old, actually had a really well-paying job that he hated. And I got to tell you, that's tough. When you got a job you hate, but it pays you really well, that's a tough move, right? Because you got the income security. And he also wanted to be a teacher. He was four years away. He had some classes. But really, he was going to take him some time. And he said, I'm 29. It's too late for me. I remember saying, Mike, what are you talking about? You're 29. Take six years to get a four-year education. Some of you know what that's like. Take six years to get your four-year education. Keep working the night shift. He happened to be a single man, and so it really had a little bit of flexibility. He already had a house. He had some security. I said, even if it's, you're 35 years old before you get to it, you could have 30 years doing what you want to do. I said, I, forgive me. I was a young pastor at the time. I said, you know how many guys would kill for 30 years of doing what it is they really wanted to do? And there's Wilburn. 19 years old, bought a service station, started a business, became a mechanic, and for, 19, or for 16 years, he ran that little mechanic station until God called him into the pastorate. For 16 years, he pastored local churches until God laid it on his heart and his wife, Edie, that they were to become missionaries, moved to Africa for 16 years, no joke, 16 years, 
He was a missionary in Africa until he retired in his late 60s, at which time he became the 20-year executive director of World Missionary Press, which prints millions and millions and millions of pieces of Scripture to send across the world until he retired in his mid to late 80s. Last time I saw him, he had just taken a visitation pastor's position outside of Columbia City, Indiana. 80-some years old and way younger than 29-year-old. It's too late for me. Hey, what if it's only five years? What if it's only two years? We, none of us really know, do we? Wouldn't it be something about being doing what you want to do? And I'm not talking career. I'm talking about relationship with God. I'm talking about walk or ministry or purpose. Which leads me to number, number three. It's just constant. I'm going to just, it's only going to happen again. It's like, it's like, I can kind of personally identify with this one, is you, you've lost a lot of weight, you've gained a lot of weight, you've lost a lot of weight, you've gained a lot of weight. I don't even want to try again. Why? Because it's just going to happen again. Why would, I, why would I try in a relationship? It's only going to happen again. Not only my failure, the other person's person failure, and it keeps us from ever even being willing to dream. Now, it's interesting, in this passage, whether you call them keys or truths, there were five things that jumped out to me of the necessity and what's necessary to begin to know it's okay to dream again. And the first one is to simply be obedient to the holy discontent of God. And I'm going to say it that way. There is a holy discontentment. Say that with me, would you? Holy discontentment. I know that is contrary in many minds to Scripture because Paul says that I've learned what it is to be content in all and every circumstance. When we are discontent in everyday life, there is one that is sinful, and that is, is what I call destination disease. It's the heart that is never satisfied with what God has given us. The person that we're with will only be content in the next relationship, the next career, the next church, the next community, the next, next, next. And I'm never happy with where God has me, only where I think I'm going to be. And there is an unholy discontentment but there is a holy discontentment when God begins to stir inside of a person to frankly not settle for less than what God wants you to be doing. In your walk with him, it was Chuck Swindoll years ago who wrote a book that said, uh, living above the level of mediocrity. In my walk with God, living above mediocrity in my intimacy with my spouse, in my intimacy with God, in my sense of purpose for life, in the ministry that God has called me to. And yes, God has called every single one of you to a ministry. I don't know what it is, and it may not be inside of the church building, but I guarantee God has a plan and a purpose and a calling on every person's life to make an impact beyond simply our life. And that stirring is to be listened to. Nehemiah had that stirring. We saw it in his initial weeping. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says this, I hadn't yet told anyone what God had laid on my heart to do for the people of Jerusalem. 
God planted that seed, and it's okay to have that seed. Now, you might be saying, well, how do I know if it's God or if it's the meatballs I had on Christmas Eve? You know, which is it? You know, I don't know which stirring inside of me. Let me tell you, when you are surrendered to the Lord and you're yielded to the Lord, Psalm, 31 be, or Psalm 37 becomes powerful because he says what? He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. When your heartbeat is for God, you're surrendered you're yielded and you are living for God's glory you can trust your desires when you are resisting God and you're already walking in rebellion you can't trust your feelings you can trust your desires when you're submitted God has a way of planting those there giving birth to those because you're doing it for the right reason notice how many times in this passage he said to those who revere your name to those who want to bring glory to your name to those who are servants he he has a heart that can delight in God and God is stirring something in him number two you have to pre, pre, uh, pre uh, uh, beforehand commit to yielding to the spirit's leading this means that, Lord, as you prompt my heart, as you lead, I will follow. Now, we have sung a hymn like that over the years, where he leads me, I will follow. We have probably sung all kinds of choruses to that same effect, but it is amazing to me how many times we can sing lyrics and not really grab what they're really calling us to. Living with a yes on my heart means I am predetermining that as God leads me, I'm going to say yes without preconditions. Notice what he does in prayer. It's really powerful. When I heard these things, verse 4, I sat down and I wept, and for some days I mourned. He grieved what was lost. And it is not only okay to grieve what is lost, it is appropriate to grieve what is lost. Some of you have lost health. Some of you have lost a child. You've lost a spouse. Some of you have lost a career. Some of you have lost your reputation. Some of you have lost, you, you know what? It is okay and it is appropriate to grieve what is lost. But in his grieving, look what he did. It says he fasted and prayed to God. God met him in the grieving. He sought God in the grieving. It was a heart that was simply saying, Lord, I'm yielding to you. Number three. Wisely develop a plan. Now, you didn't see it yet. But by the time he made his request, he actually had a plan in place. Look what it says, verse 6 through 9. And when I say develop a plan, develop a God-honoring plan. Uh, you'll notice in verse 11, and 12, or verse 11 in, the, in the previous chapter, in chapter 1, where he talks about those who revere in his name. Everything he's doing, he's doing for the purpose of bringing God glory to bringing God, um, and bringing God in on the discussion. Uh, scripture tells us that those who, who plan 
and bring along a lot of counsel, and specifically godly counsel. Their, their plans will not fail. And so he puts a plan together before he even goes to the king. Now here's what it says. Verse 6, Then the king with the queen sitting next to him said, How long will your journey take? Now wouldn't it be interesting if, if Nehemiah would have just answered, um, I don't know. Well, when are you going to get back? I don't know, that's a good question. When he was asked that question, the king said, how long will your journey take? And oh, by the way, when are you going to be back? And here's, here's what he said. He said, it pleased the king, so I set a time. This is when I'm leaving. This is when I'm returning. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have a letter to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And, oh, by the way, can I also have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he'll give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, uh, by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. Now understand, this is about a three to four mile wall that is two feet deep. And he says, um, yeah, he said, okay, I'm glad you asked that because I, 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 I have a list of things that I'm going to need. Um, if you'd be willing to give me permission to go, I believe I need an, a leave of absence and I'd like to eventually come back and be cupbearer to the king again. Um, I'm going to be gone for a certain period of time. By the way, you'll notice he even makes a trip once in a while just to make sure everything's okay. I'm going to need a letter because there's a lot of people as I travel with all this stuff toward Jerusalem that are going to want to attack me. So I'm going to need permission to get through those countries. And oh, by the way, you're going to learn later they need to provide armed soldiers to ride with me to give me safety and give me cover. And you know, cupbearers to the king don't make a whole lot of money. So I need you to pay for this project. Would it be okay for your forest to supply the lumber needed for the citadel because I'd like to build a citadel next to the temple because we really do need a citadel. And then, oh, by the way, any lumber that's needed in this wall that's being developed, we got gates, we got infrastructure. I need you to provide that. And by the way, I got to have some place to live while I'm there. So can you also provide the lumber for my home? It is amazing when you have a God-stirred dream that is pre-submitted to him, that when you make a God-honoring plan, how crazy God can provide when you have that kind of plan. Put a plan in place. This is what I see happening. Number four. You've got to be courageous enough to ask. I was afraid, he said. But I prayed to the God of heaven and I made my request. And you know what? If you have a person who is a non-believer that you need to either do some conflict resolution with or you need to ask favor of, can I just tell you, I would rather have the favor of God than all the giftedness in the world. I would rather have the favor of God than being lucky. The favor of God is a powerful move where God moves on our behalf, even to those that may not be people of faith, to simply change their mind when we come before them. 
I prayed to the God of heaven. I made my request. And sometimes we are afraid to dream. And sometimes we're afraid to even ask. God, could I even hope? Could I even dare to dream that you would give a new future and a new plan or a new purpose? Or could I ever, could I ever dare to pray for a godly man or a godly woman? Could I ever dare to pray that you give me hope and a purpose again? Could I ever dare? It takes courage to ask. This year, in my own personal journey, I am uh, walking through a book that I first took our leadership through, and then later in 2018, I, I encouraged the church to walk through. It's called uh, Draw the Circle. And it's a 40-day Draw the Circle prayer journey. And really, what God has laid on my heart is that in 2020, so many became convinced that just simply enduring was enough. Just making it. And around August, God began to stir something in me personally where it was like, Phil, you've become part of the whiner crew that just simply wants to whine about what is. Did you ever think maybe this is the opportunity for the church and the body of Christ to take the lead and to be a light for those that are floundering through this time? You probably would notice... If you go back, you'll notice how the messages just kind of changed. They were all about encouragement. They were all about hope. They were all about possibility. They were all about living victoriously. It was all about looking at this a little differently. It didn't mean the reality wasn't reality. It just simply is that God is bigger than the reality. And I believe that in this year, God wants to do some things that are powerful, that are life-transforming. I believe He wants to do it in my life. And I believe He wants to do it in this church. But I, I guarantee I believe God wants to do it in your life too. But we need to ask. Which leads me to number five, and this is going to be hard for a lot of us. You've got to be willing to leave security behind. Even if it's a perilous security. Now, you may not think this, but here's what he says. It's just a few little words right before he gets into chapter two. I, he says, was the cupbearer of the king. And I will tell you, the cupbearer of the king has a little bit of influence because not everybody gets to be around the king every day. There's a reason that the king looked at him and said, hey, you're not usually sad. You ever wonder whether or not you can make a difference in somebody's life without ever having the chance to actually talk to them? Cupbearer to the king didn't talk to the king. He just simply was with the king. But the king could tell something was wrong. You make an impact by your very essence with people. And a cupbearer to the king is a pretty good gig. I would tell you, you have, you have job security for the rest of your life. The problem is that may not be very long. Because the cupbearer didn't just bring the cup. The cupbearer tasted the cup. And the reason that they tasted the cup was in case somebody wanted to take the king out and poison the wine. You see, the cupbearer was the one who would take the hit. It's kind of a perilous security. Your job is secure as long as nobody wants to take out the king. And it struck me how hard it is sometimes to give, a, 
give away perilous security. It's the reason the Israelites always wanted to stay in Egypt and they wanted to go back to slavery rather than trust the promises of God because it's easier to trust in a perilous security than a possible promise that we haven't yet gripped a hold of. But I guarantee you, I am making a statement. If you're going to grab and dream about what God wants to give, God will ask you to let go of a perilous security. Because that's what dreams take. And some of you need to hear it's okay. It's okay to dream again. It's okay to have a, a holy discontentment. Because God wants you to be where God wants you to be way more than you want to be where God wants you to be. And he has incredible ways of bringing you to that place. I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment. In 2020, the Lord brought to my attention a song that has become very important to me. There is rarely a day in which I don't listen to this song multiple times. It was written by Elevation Worship. It's just simply that the title is here again. But I feel like it might be God's words for some that are here today. You can't go back to the beginning. You can't control what tomorrow will bring. But I know that here in the middle is the place where you promise to be. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Because all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? As I walk now through the valley, let your love rise above every fear. Like the sun shaping the shadow in my weakness, your glory appears. Not for a minute, minute was I forsaken because the Lord is in this place. Come Holy Spirit, dry bones awaken because the Lord is in this place. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Because all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? And Lord, as our heart begins to reach out to you and simply ask you to meet us here again, you meet us at altars, you meet us in chairs, you meet us in our homes, any heart that cries out to you, it's a question that has an answer as soon as it's uttered. Will you meet me here again? Of course you'll meet us here. As we submit to your will, as we are obedient to your stirring, I wonder what it is that you're stirring today. Some are going to leave behind dry bones religion and begin walking deeper than you ever have with the Lord. He, he wants you to live above mediocrity. It's okay not to be satisfied with a level of intimacy in your marriage relationship. And God isn't wanting you to go to a new marriage. 
But He does want you to take your marriage deeper than it's been before. It's okay to dream again. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to grieve. It's appropriate. But God wants to meet you there. Strengthen us, Lord, as we begin to dream again. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before you raise your heads, I just want to invite you. I think there are some that the Lord is just calling to come and meet with Him this morning. The altar's been open all morning and prayer partners are available if you want them. But sometimes we just need to come before the Lord and have an honest talk with Him. And so as we close, we'll dismiss you, but we want to invite you to come and I promise He'll meet you here again. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.